He wants you to have. There's absolutely no reason for us to go without something that is very clear in the word that God wants us to have it, that there's benefits to having it, that there's big time benefits to having it. You know, it, it would be senseless for us to go without something when going with it instead of going without it would be so much better. And I want to approach this subject with you tonight in, in, in that very way. Why would you not want to have what we're going to be talking about here tonight? When, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why would somebody want to go through life without it? That's one that's tough to figure out. Because I'll tell you, any good gift that comes from God, any gift that comes from God is a good gift. The Bible establishes that very well. James chapter 1 says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And with him, there's no varying. There's not even a shadow of turning. There's not even the least little bit of a chance that he might be one way today and another way tomorrow. Are you glad about that? <laughs> hey, hallelujah. Well, let's go ahead and get started by looking at Luke chapter 3. And I want to break this down into uh, three very simple thoughts. First of all, when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, who does the baptizing? And then secondly, who's the baptism for? And then thirdly, what happens to you when you are baptized in or filled with the Holy Spirit? We'll see that, that those are interchangeable terms. Baptism in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, talking about the same experience. But, but let's, let's look at this first. First of all, who is the baptizer? And what does this mean? Luke chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, uh, John answered, that being John the Baptist, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, who was that one mightier than John who was coming? Let me hear the name. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So understand this, that, that Jesus is the one who is coming to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. He's the one who is the baptizer. Why is that important? It's important. Mm -hmm. Don't get me started now. It's important because he never changes. Now follow me, you're going to see where I'm going. It's important to realize that he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, talking about the same person, the third person of the Godhead. But if... If the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit does not change, then that must also necessitate that the baptism with which he baptizes also does not change. Which means the baptism in the Holy Spirit cannot be different now in the 21st century than it was in the first century. Oh, it's got to be the same baptism. Why is it the same baptism? Because it's the same baptizer. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To say that there's anything different about the baptism today is to say there's something different about the baptizer. And that just can't be true. Hallelujah. Now, who's the baptism? Four. Who is the baptism for? You know, it's interesting. The Bible says in Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Thank God Jesus hung on a tree. 
that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this part. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, if you receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, and if you understand one of the basic elementary principles of faith is that faith comes by hearing the Word of God then as you hear the word of God on a particular subject, faith for that thing comes to you. Which is good because you cannot receive the thing you're hearing about without faith. You need faith to receive it, but in order to have faith come to you regarding that particular issue, whatever it is, and in this case, the the, the promise of the Spirit, the baptism, the Holy Spirit, for faith to come to you on that subject, it comes by hearing the word on that subject. And as you hear the word on the subject, faith comes. And how do you receive the promise of the Spirit? Galatians 3.14 says that we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Which means that this is good ground for you to be in. This is a good place for you to be in if you desire to be filled with or baptized with the Holy Spirit because in this setting here, you're going to hear the word of God about it and faith comes to you by hearing the word of God. Faith for this experience will come to you by hearing what the word says about it. And as a result of that, mm -mm -mm, as a result of that, when faith comes and you exercise that faith to receive, you receive and you get the thing God wants you to have. Hallelujah. Who is the baptism for? Go to Acts um, 5. Acts 5, 32. It says, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, now, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The, the number one act of obedience that anybody ever takes as they start obeying God is very simply this. They believe that Jesus is the son of God. They believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. They believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And so that's the first step of obedience that we can take on a road of obedience. I mean, that's obedience 101. If you don't believe on the one that God has sent, then, then you've not gone very far in the school of obedience. Let me tell you that you ain't even gotten started. But as one who is getting started along this road of obedience, that's the very first step to take. And when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus, you realize this, that this experience is for you. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus, this is for you. Because we realize in scripture that there are two Holy Spirit experiences that you can experience. One being when you are saved to begin with. The, the, the very initial act of being born again, that that's when you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that nobody can even call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. And the act of calling Jesus Lord is, I'd say that's very important because Romans 10 teaches us that the confession of Jesus as the Lord is how we get saved. Are you with me? So therefore, that salvation experience is a Holy Spirit experience. But is it the only one? No, it's not the only one. Because we see in Acts chapter 8 that Philip went and preached in the city of Samaria. And as he went and preached there, the people believed. The people received the word of God. And then after they had received the word of God, uh, word went to the apostles in Jerusalem to send Peter and John down so that they would receive the Holy Ghost also. Now you say, well, didn't they already have the Holy Ghost? Yes, they did in one sense. But this is the second Holy Ghost experience 
that they were talking about there in Acts chapter 8, talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. They were already saved. They were already baptized in water, but yet they thought it necessary to get some guys down who could go ahead and lay hands on them so that they would receive the Holy Ghost. And so that's not our point to get into that tonight. We could spend a lot of time on that, but one thing you can be sure about is that the scripture makes clear that there are two unique Holy Spirit experiences. One is your salvation when you are born again, when you first enter into the kingdom of God. And secondly, is when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That first one is as John Ford describes when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria. It's just the well of water that springs up into everlasting life. But then Jesus described something else in John chapter 7. He talked about the rivers of living water flowing out of you. So I'm going to tell you here tonight, you definitely need a well. Someone say, well, yeah, you definitely need a well, but you also need a river. Say it to somebody. Say, I need a well, but I need a river too. All right. So we're going to go ahead and keep on going down this trail. Who is the baptism for? Who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? Luke chapter 24. I want you to notice some very specific wording that Jesus is using. Luke 24, 49, this is Jesus speaking just before he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he's talking about sending the promise of my father. Notice that word, promise. The Father's promise. The Father's promise. Let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1. We're going to take a look at verse 4 and 5. Ah. If only I could just cue that perfectly, right? Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. Next verse, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's becoming clear to us what the promise of the Father is, that the promise of the Father is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. I'm going over this very, very carefully to make sure that we get this. What is this promise? And we see very clearly from Acts chapter uh, one, well, going back to Luke 24, we could see that this promise had to do with us being endued with power from on high. Acts chapter one, we saw the direct connection between the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts two, we see the same thing. We see the reference to the promise of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus received from the Father and poured out on that day, on that initial day of Pentecost, where the Holy Ghost first fell on the early church. Now, verse 38, same chapter. Now we're going to find out who it's for. Hey, do you want to find out? You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I know it's for me. Oh, yeah, it's for me. But, but on what basis? If we don't have the word for something, we don't have any basis. If we don't have a solid foundation to stand on, we can like to think it's us, but we don't know for sure it's us. We, we can't just think it's us and hope it's us. We need to know it's us. We need to know what the Bible says about stuff. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. For the promise. Oh, he's going to tell us who it's for. Hey, hey, the promise is to you 
and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, let's see. Are we far off? Yeah, I'd say we're a few miles away from Jerusalem. And we're about 2,000 years away from that day. So far off? Yeah, we're far off. And are you called? I said, are you called? Well, if you're called, it's for you. Now, if you're not yet convinced that this is for you, then I want to go ahead a little bit earlier in the chapter. But before you put that verse up, let me set this up. The day of Pentecost happened. There were 120 people gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, the same upper room. uh, It's believed where Jesus shared the last supper with his followers. That very same upper room, there's 120 believers gathered together. And they're praying and they were told by Jesus to wait there and not go anywhere until they are endued with power from on high. We don't have to wait in Jerusalem, but they did. And so as they're following the direction and staying in prayer, then when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Bible says that something happened. The, the Bible says that there was the, a sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the place where they were sitting. And, and, and that uh, uh, tongues of fire appeared on their head and that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages that their head did not know, as the Spirit gave them utterance, as the Spirit gave them the words to speak. The Spirit gave them the words, they uttered the words. Now notice this, the Holy Ghost wasn't making them talk. The Holy Ghost wasn't making them do anything. He wasn't taking over their tongue and make them say something. He gave them the words, but they were the ones who were doing the talking. That's a very important thing to understand. Now, so so there's all kind of clamor in the streets. There's visitors in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they say, Woo! What's going on here? These guys are Galileans. They don't know the language we speak, and yet they're speaking in our language the wonderful works of God. What's going on? And some other guys thought they'd be cute and say, well, hey, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, but they start drinking already. But then Peter got up. I love the, the word that said that the, the, the coward of Calvary became the hero of Pentecost. The very same guy who was denying Jesus, uh, let's say, uh, maybe 40 to 50 days before. Now, he's standing up in front of the crowd. And he's going to tell the crowd what's going on. He said, these are not drunk as you suppose. He said, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But he said, now put up that verse, Acts 2, verse 17. He said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is what Joel said right here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Woo! Someone squeeze yourself. Make sure you got some. Is that you? Ho-ho! I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Well, let me tell you this. The spirit is being poured out on all flesh. That means not just the flesh of Jews, the flesh of Gentiles too. All flesh means no matter what kind of beautiful shade of flesh you got, all means all, you all. And the Bible is so crystal clear that this is for the old and it's for the young. It's for the men and for the women. It's for sons and daughters. Now, despite what anybody's saying these days, when you're born, you are either a son or a daughter. Hey. 
I just say it because it's true. But you see, that's the absolute all-inclusive nature of what God wants to do. He's not looking to go ahead and, you know, uh, uh, well, we'll go ahead and give some to you, but we're not giving any to you. We'll give some to you, but none for you. No, in the heart of God, he wants everybody to have this. He wants his spirit poured out on all flesh. That's the heart of God. And as you see that, if you weren't already convinced, you got to be convinced now that there's no way that you can say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for you. Because Peter clearly identified what happened on that first day of Pentecost when people were initially baptized with or filled with the Spirit. He identified that as being the same thing that Joel talked about. And what Joel talked about is clearly not for a few, it's for everybody. Oh yeah. So we see this, Jesus is a baptizer. We also see this. Who's it for? It's for me. I got flesh. I'm either a son or I'm a daughter. I'm either young or I'm not as young as I used to be. We won't use the old word. Hey, <laughs> I'm having fun with somebody here tonight. And now, what happens to you? What happens to you when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you this. We read it earlier. You know, fire happens to you. Fire happens to you. That's how John the Baptist, with the first verse we read tonight over in Luke 3, the, the way he introduced Jesus, the one who's coming, who is mightier than he was, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and talks about burning up chaff with unquenchable fire. Yeah, yeah, you know, we hear talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we, we say, whoa, glory to God, hallelujah, bring it. But, but, but when you realize that... Uh, uh, Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, fire doesn't always make you feel warm and fuzzy because fire lets you know something's going to get burnt. How many of you can think of some things in your life that probably need to get burnt? Hey, I'm not looking, I'm not looking. But I'll raise my hand. Fire. Fire to burn up the chaff. I like people that are on fire. I like being on fire. I got to tell you, I've come too far with God to be some old bump on a log. I like fire. I like somebody who's fired up for God. Having the fire of God burning inside of them. You know, when you get around somebody who's on fire for God, you don't have to ask if they are. You don't have to ask if they got it. You just show up and watch them burn. Come on. Hey, hallelujah. So what happened to you? What happens to you when you are baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, you get some fire on you. You become a blaze. The Bible uses, the New Testament uses a word in the New King James translation anyway, and the word is fervent. Fervent. And the, what does it mean? It means hot. Mucho caliente. You got me, all right? <laughs> I mean, hot. Is there anybody in the house tonight who's hot? Or is there anybody in the house who wants to get hot? Hallelujah. What else happens to people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Power happens to them. Look at Acts 1. This is the words of Jesus just before he ascended on high, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, this is so significant, the understanding that power comes upon you. You receive power when you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I can show you this, the very same thing that Jesus is talking about here. He knows of what he speaks because that's what happened to him. Luke chapter four, verse one. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when did that happen? That happened in the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized by John, and the scripture says that the Holy Spirit in a bodily form came down upon him. And that God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness, into the wilderness. Verse 14. Then Jesus returned after he left the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Forty days and forty nights. Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. To Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. So we see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit going into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. When he's coming out, we see that what he was full of, who I must say, who he was full of. We're talking about a person here, not in it, but a he who he was full of. Now he's returning in the power of the spirit. Did Jesus experience this empowerment how did he experience his empowerment he was full of the holy spirit the holy spirit came upon him acts chapter 10 38 y'all don't have the verse out back but i'm going to quote it to you it says this how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy ghost and with power with the holy ghost and with power And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Hallelujah. So we see Jesus full of the Holy Spirit and returning in the power of the spirit. And I want to look at a real life example in the book of Acts where this guy who was observing what was going on actually pulled out his wallet and wanted to buy some some of what Peter had because he saw power in demonstration. Let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 8 and read a little bit about this guy called Simon the Sorcerer. Now, verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Next verse, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a absolute pitiful thing that this guy is trying to to buy the power of God. We know that. Peter rebuked him for that. If you go on reading, you see that. But I want you to realize this, that, and and this is amazing, that, that what he saw was power in action. When he saw people receive the Holy Spirit, he was not just watching people there saying, hallelujah. I mean, you ain't going to get out your wallet and want to buy something. And people just saying, hallelujah. You know, and just looking like when we going to get out of church, I want to go home, you know. But I'll tell you, when there's power in action, when there's actually something happening, something real, so something substantial, substantive going on, where God's power is actually at work and flowing, you can understand why the guy would want to pull out his wallet there because he's seeing something happening. It's called power. Someone say power. Power. Hallelujah. You know, if you look in Acts chapter 6, you read about when when Stephen first came on the scene in the early church. And it says that, that he was full of faith and power. Hallelujah. Full of faith and full of power. And it's very clear where his power source was from because the the first assignment given when they were having that little dispute that they were having in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, and it was a a dispute because not everybody was getting treated uh, equally and evenly. You had the Jews getting treated one way and the Grecians getting treated another way. That ought not be in the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 
So they were rectifying the situation, what they did. Let's go ahead and get seven men that are full of the Holy Ghost and we're going to have them handle this. So the kind of guys they were looking for for the job were people that were full of the Holy Ghost. One of those guys happened to be Stephen. So is it any wonder that a guy who's full of the Holy Ghost is full of power? No wonder at all. Perfectly makes sense. Now, we can talk more about that, but I want to go ahead and hit the highlights of what should somebody who's being filled with the Holy Spirit expect? Well, I'll tell you, Pastor hit this a little earlier. Go ahead to Acts 13, verse 52. Hey, hey. someone say, ha, 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 ha. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's not any coincidence. The Bible also tells us regarding the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink or food and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When you get full of the Holy Ghost, you come in contact with joy. There's something about joy. I tell you what, I've tried being miserable once and I did not like it. I like joy so much better. How about you? And I'll tell you what, when you tune into God and you get the Holy Spirit uh, 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 working in you and, and being for you all he wants to be and doing for you all he wants to do, what's he bring with him? He brings some serious joy. Hallelujah. And what's, what else does he bring? He brings joy and he brings singing. You know, where, where you got joy, you know you got a party going on. You got some singing going on somewhere. Ephesians 5. Let's check it out. Ephesians 5. Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Next verse. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you're full of the spirit, you're doing some speaking and doing some singing. And the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine. But 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 he said, this is a good way that you can go ahead and 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 get some. Hallelujah. This is called new wine. This is this is called the Holy Ghost. This is all right. You need to live under the influence. You need to deal with your crazy relatives under the influence. You need to deal with your crazy boss under the influence. Glory to God when you get under the influence of God's wine. When you get filled with the right spirit. Hey. See, then, then you put yourself in a place where you can have joy and you can experience all that God wants you to have. And rather than being down, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 61 that we should put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That we should put on the oil of joy in place of mourning. And we should put on some beauty for our ashes. That's what the Messiah came to do. That's what Jesus came to do. Glory to God. Amen. Now, let's go on. How else is somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit affected? <coughs> Speaking boldly. You know, you, you ain't timid and shy when you're filled with the Spirit. Something comes on you. Hey, hey. Uh, Acts 4. Uh, we see Peter here filled with the Holy Spirit and he said to them and started speaking to the rulers. And so for the next five, six verses, he's talking to the rulers. Put on that next verse. I believe it's 13. Yeah. Now, after he gets done talking and how's he talking? He was full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it said, right? Now, when they saw the boldness hey, of Peter and John, where did he get that boldness from? He's full of the Holy Spirit. And when he's full of the Holy Spirit, boldness was the effect. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and that they realized that they had been with Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Right here in the same chapter, 
Now think about this. Peter and John, this is what happens. They, they, they go ahead and get instructed by the religious leaders of the day. No, don't you dare preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And what they do, they, they say bye-bye and go ahead back to their own company and get to praying. What happens when they pray? Verse 31. Woo! And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Speaking the word with boldness, not with timidity, not being shy, not trying to be cute, but getting to the point where you just don't give a flying anything about what anybody says. You just speak boldly. Hallelujah. And besides that, when you say they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, one thing you see here is that these guys had already been filled. Peter and John were part of this crew. Peter was there on the day of Pentecost and got filled. Early in this chapter, he got up to speak and he said, Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, said. And then he said what he said. And now they're going back to a prayer meeting. And what's happening? He's getting filled again. Can you get a clue out of this that this is not a one-time deal? This is something you keep on going back for more. And you keep on going back for more. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, what we just read in Ephesians 5. It said, be not drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the tense of that in the Greek is actually continual. Be continuously filled with the Spirit. Uh, somebody said that, that, that it could be translated as be being filled. Be being filled. Which means that th- this is not a one-stop shop. No, you keep on coming back over and over and over again for all your life. Because here's the thing. There's no problem with the Holy Ghost. The problem's with me and you. Because we leak. <laughs> I know I do. I confess. We leak. And so therefore, you may be full. But as you're going on and as you're expending some of your power, some of your spiritual energy, you need to go back and get another dose. But you can. Hallelujah. And you can keep on going back as often as you need to. You know, someone says, oh, yeah, I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit and I speak with tongues. And you say, oh, yeah, when was the last time that you spoke with other tongues? Well, uh, 19 something. And I'll tell you, there's something that's just not right with that. Because I'm not going with my experience with God based on what happened in yesteryear. I want something that's right now here today. I want something that right here today, what I need today. Jesus talked about, give us this day our daily bread. You talking about eating something stale from 20 years ago. I don't want nothing stale. I want something fresh, hot off, hot out of the oven. Hey, hallelujah. Speaking boldly. Now, we could talk more about that. But I, I want to spend the rest of our night talking about the subject of speaking in other tongues. What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And what we're doing, we're, we're talking about what happens to people when they're baptized with or filled with the Holy Spirit? That's, that's what we're going through. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's Acts chapter 2. Now in Acts chapter 9, this is interesting. It talks about Paul getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And it does not make an immediate reference to him speaking in tongues. Yet you have his own writings that tell you that he does because he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, I speak with tongues more than you all. The logical start time of when did you start doing that? It would make sense that it started when he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the thing. The idea of, and some of you may have been under teaching before, that this is something that died out with the apostles. 
But you know, when it comes to Saul, who we better know as Paul over in Acts chapter nine, it was not an apostle who laid hands on him to receive the Holy Ghost. It was just a regular old disciple. A disciple who lived in the city of Damascus named Ananias, who you never hear of in the book of Acts again. So this was not something that he received because one of the apostles gave it to him. No, Jesus used a disciple, a Joe believer to minister to the apostle who would write two thirds of the New Testament and would bring the gospel all over the known world of his day. Hallelujah. So if anybody thinks, well, it left with the apostles. Well, you got some explaining to do on that one because it wasn't an apostle who ministered the Holy Ghost to the great apostle Paul. Hallelujah. Acts 10. 44. This is Peter. At a, uh, he, he, he's at an Italian guy's house named Cornelius. Thank God for Italians because I married one. Hallelujah. All right, here we go. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Well, how'd they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered in verse 47 says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And one thing I want you to see here is that here, Peter is very specific to say they got the same thing we got. This is 10 years after the day of Pentecost, most people believe. So 10 years after that initial falling of the Holy Spirit on the early church, the first time the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. This is 10 years later. And this is not a Jewish group. This is a bunch of Gentiles. This is an Italian crew. The food was in the oven, somebody. Hallelujah. All seven courses. Come on and praise them. But I want you to realize this, that Peter was saying, hey, these guys got just the same thing we've got. And when he recalls the story in Acts chapter 11, he hits it from the same angle. He said, they got the same thing we got. He's at the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And he's echoing the same sentiment. They got the same thing we got. Why? Because like I said to you in the beginning, if the baptizer doesn't change, neither does the baptism. Acts 19. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. So here we see examples of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming on them, and they're speaking with other tongues. What on earth is speaking with a language that my mind doesn't even know? What good does that do? That's where I want to camp out here for our last few minutes tonight. What good does that do for me to talk in a language that my mind doesn't even know? Well, one of the most important things we need to realize as believers is that you are more than a body and more than a mind. And you see, we spend so much time on parts of us that last for just a little while instead of the parts that last forever. Your spirit is eternal. I said your spirit is eternal. And so one thing we need to get used to is the fact that God has created us a three part being as he is. A trinity, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Three persons who are one God. Yet here we are as one individual. And yet God created you the same way in a sense because he created you in his image. Spirit, 
soul, and body. Now, one thing you've got to realize is that the part of you that gets saved, the part of you that becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit to begin with, is your spirit. So that's the part of you that gets saved to begin with. And then besides that, if the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your spirit, then uh, it is also important to realize that it is out of your spirit or the, the old King James Bible says out of your belly or you may say out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water which Jesus said in John chapter 7, and the, 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 the scripture there specifically says that Jesus spoke that of the Holy Spirit, which those that believe on him would receive. So this idea of rivers of living water flowing out of us is something that definitely Jesus made clear was a reference to the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So what's, what's the benefit? You know, I know that I'm spirit, soul, and body. I understand that. I understand that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in my spirit. But what is the benefit of me praying in a language that my head doesn't understand? That's why I want to look at these verses here. Because this is so exciting. If you get a hold of this, this is so powerful to break down some of the mental barriers that we have. Mental barriers can be uh, big enemies to to, uh, uh, going out into uh, the things of the spirit. Because if we allow ourselves to to be so mental that we don't realize that we are a spirit, if we only look at ourselves as being a mind and a body or soul and body and not a spirit, soul and a body, we're going to greatly block ourselves from experiences with God. Kind of like when John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. For you to be in the spirit, you need to realize you got a spirit. You need to realize you are a spirit. And we need to go, go ahead and, and, and treat ourselves such. We treat ourselves like we've got a body. That's why we feed ourselves so good. But, but if you realize that you've got a spirit, then you're going to go ahead and be putting the word of God in you on your regular basis. Why? Because you realize you are a spirit and you realize that that spirit needs feeding just like your body needs feeding. Oh my, hallelujah. First Corinthians 14. Let's look at some of these verses that show us the benefits of speaking in other tongues. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So first of all, you realize in this, that you're not speaking to men. You're speaking to God. Nobody understands you. In the spirit, you're speaking mysteries. See, it's a, not a mystery to God. You need to understand that. There are no mysteries to God. Because he, he already knows the solution and the answer to every mystery. There's nothing that's a mystery to him. However, it's a mystery to you. And I'll tell you, there's been times in prayer where I've got the urge to pray and I didn't know what needed praying. I got the urge to pray that something needed to happen. Somebody may have been in trouble. Whatever the case might have been, a serious urge, a burden to pray. But I don't have natural knowledge of what the situation is. But there still is a way to pray that's more effective than, oh, Lord, fix that problem, whatever it is. Yeah, that's the lamest prayer I ever heard. You know, rather than just trying to throw something up that's half-hearted and not effective, what an effective way that in the spirit we can speak mysteries and we can pray something directly to God. I'm not talking to men. Men can't intercept it. And let me tell you, no devil in hell can intercept it either. I'm speaking directly to God. And the Holy Spirit is giving me words that I can pray that is the perfect prayer for the situation that I don't even know in my head. And you might say, well, why would God choose such a unique way to do this? Well, you can go ahead and ask him if you want to. But rather than me asking him why he would choose this way, I just want to go ahead and believe it and get into it. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 14. Same chapter, verse 13. So in the spirit, he's speaking mysteries. So keep that term in the spirit open to you. 
Therefore, let him who speaks in the tongue pray that he may interpret. Next verse. For if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So this is a spiritual activity that's going on when I'm praying in my prayer language, when I'm praying in an unknown tongue. It's a spiritual exercise, but the, the verse before this says my understanding is unfruitful. See that? My spirit's doing something, but my mind don't know what's going on. And you know what? That's all right. Can I tell you it's all right that your mind don't have to have everything figured out? It's all right. Next verse. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. One of the uh, great um evangelist of the last century, Oral Roberts, was once asked a question. He said, do you think that you can just turn on and turn off the Holy Spirit whenever you want to? He said, oh, no, absolutely not. He said, the Holy Spirit's always on. It's me that gets turned on and off. Come on now. Hallelujah. Talking about praying in the Spirit here. And this term praying in the Spirit is obviously talking about praying in other tongues because it is contrasted with praying in the understanding. When you're praying in the understanding, you're praying something that your mind does understand. When you're praying in the spirit, you're praying something that your mind does not understand. It is the opposite of the understanding when you're praying in the spirit. Ephesians 6:18. Hallelujah. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Jude chapter one. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Talk about building yourself up. Being strong, be, be, being charged, be, the, the old word is edified, but, but, but charged is a good word. Greek scholars have said regarding the old word edified that he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. They say that if that word edify were to be used today, if the Bible were written today, it would say that he who speaks in an unknown tongue. In an unknown language to him is charging himself like a battery. Anybody got your, your iPhone needs a charge today. Well, let me tell you, there's something that needs a charge more than your iPhone. It's you. Glory be to God. So you know who the baptizer is. You know who the baptism is for. It's for you. And now you know what happens. And what can happen to you when you're filled with and baptized with the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you in Jesus' name. We give you glory and praise. Father, I thank you for everybody here tonight. Lord, that you're doing a great and mighty work in each one. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the Spirit of God is present in this place, pulling on the hearts of people. And anybody that's not right with God is getting right with God tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for it.